Amazing Grace Kona welcomes you to today's lesson from Pastor Izzy Manzo. Our prayer is that today's lesson will spiritually feed and uplift you. Now, here's Pastor Izzy. We're in Nahum chapter 1 verse 13. We saw that prophet Nahum was prophesying against Nineveh, that great city Nineveh that was the headquarters of the king of Assyria. Now, the king of Assyria sent a cherub. He was not a nice fellow. He was a mean, mean fella. People feared being conquered by the Assyrians. Where is Nineveh today? It's actually in Iraq. It's in a place called Mosul, Iraq. It's by the east bank of the Tigris River. We're going to look at two places actually are mentioned by Nahum, Nineveh, and Babylon. It's down about 59 miles southwest of Baghdad. Remember where Nebuchadnezzar in the Bible when Daniel was a boy, he was taken away to Babylon. That's where he was carried away to. Now, Nahum is a prophet of Israel, and he's prophesying against Assyria. Now, a hundred years before is when Jonah went and told them to repent, because they were very wicked. And he didn't really want them to repent. You remember, he was like, oh, repent, or God's going to dust you. He was pretty much the mean doomsday prophet. And he walks through their town, takes three days to walk all the way across the city. And the whole time, all he's saying is, repent or die. Well, he gets all the way across the town. By the time he gets three days across the town of Nineveh, the Ninevites have all been going, have you heard what that man said? We got to repent. And they put on sackcloth and ashes, and they repented. And when Jonah gets to the other side of the city, he's like, oh, man, they all repented. And he was mad. He's like, you're so gracious. You sent me to warn them. They heed the warning. Now you're not going to judge them. Darn. He wanted them to get judged. He didn't like them. But God wanted them to repent. We saw that. God's heart is that God would rather have even the worst person turn back to God and have their heart made right. Well, we go about 125 years later now, and we come to this portion, what Nahum's writing, around 612-ish B.C., we come to this book. It's been about a hundred plus years since Jonah visited that city. In a hundred years' time, did they get better after they repented, or did they go back to their ways? The Ninevites, they turned back to their wickedness. And God told through the prophet Nahum, you have devised a plan against God's people, against Israel. God says, I will make it backfire. We see even today, there's nations against Israel, and they bring their attacks, and God makes their whole scheme backfire on them. He continues to do so, even to this day. So now he says here in verse 14 of Nahum chapter 1, The Lord has issued a command concerning you. Your name will no longer be perpetuated. I will cut off idol and image from the house of your gods. I will prepare your grave, for you are contemptible. God's basically saying, you made a plan against me, now I'm going to act, and I'm going to no longer perpetuate you. In other words, you're ending. And then he says, behold, on the mountains of the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace, celebrate your feasts, O Judah, and pay your vows, for never again will the wicked one pass through you, for he is cut off completely. So to the Israelites, the prophet first speaks to Nineveh, you guys, you're not going to be perpetuated. You're, you're going down, is what he's saying. And you, O Judah, 
You guys just have a feast. Celebrate. Just have a party. They had come and put their soul, their feet coming towards Israel with the intent of destroying them. Remember the 185,000 men that had camped around the city and the Lord had to send that angel to slay them? God says, I'm going to take out these guys now. They keep coming back. They keep plotting against you. The Bible says, whoever blesses Israel, God blesses them. Whoever curses Israel, God curses them. And these guys, Nineveh, they were cursing Israel. And God goes, all right, time for you to be wiped out. And then he says a really neat verse. Now, this is the very same saying that Isaiah said in chapter 52. Behold, on the mountains of the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace, celebrate your feasts, O Judah. Pay your vows, for never again will the wicked one pass through you. He is cut off completely. And then if you read the next two chapters of Nahum, they're all about how God is going to cut off the Ninevites. That's really exciting because it's like tells it to the T. But some people, they struggle. They go, how could God have foretold this before it happened? How did he know all the details of how the Ninevites were going to go down? He's God. Not hard for God to know. He just told the prophet how it was going to happen. And just like the book of Daniel, many critics of the Bible, they say, oh, Daniel is too accurate. It's just too accurate historically. How could Daniel have known the Babylonian kingdom would come first, and then the Medo-Persian kingdom, then the Grecian empire, then the Roman? How could he know this when he only lived at the end of the Babylonian kingdom? They must have wrote the book later. That's what the critics of the Bible say. So they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, and in it, was included the book of Daniel. And they went, uh-oh, we know the date of these scrolls and it's back in the days what it declared. So somebody knows something we don't know, God. God knows what's gonna happen in Nineveh. Let me read it to you, chapters two and three. And then I'm gonna end by coming back to this verse that is the one that is quoted in Hebrew here on the mountains are the feet of him. Verse two says, the one who scatters has come up against you. Man the fortress, watch the road, strengthen your back, summon all your strength, for the Lord will restore the splendor of Jacob like the splendor of Israel, even though devastators have devastated them and destroyed their vine branches. The shields of his mighty men are colored red. The warriors are dressed in scarlet. The chariots are enveloped in flashing steel when he is prepared to march, and cypress spears are brandished and the chariot races madly in the streets. They rush wildly in the squares, and their appearance is like torches. These chariots are going across like torches, back and forth. They dash to and fro like lightning flashes. Now, interestingly enough, this is the colors of the Babylonian army. When the Medes join, just at the end of the Babylonian reign, where it transfers from Nebuchadnezzar's day into Darius the Mede and Cyrus the Persian, the Medo-Persian Empire, the Medes actually joined Babylon just at that end part of Babylon's uh, strength. And the colors, just by coincidence, the colors of the army of the Babylonians and the army of the Medes were steel, polished nicely, red and scarlet. And wasn't that coincidence that God says, this is the colors of the guys who are going to come in chariots against you. Who goes against Nineveh? It's Babylon. 
and the Medes that come up there to take out Nineveh, this stronghold of the Assyrians that has become a thorn in that whole Middle Eastern pie over there, causing trouble. And so the Lord brings these guys against him. And he remembers his nobles, and they stumble in their march. They hurry to her wall, and the mantle is set up, and the gates of the rivers are open, and the palace is dissolved. It is fixed. She is stripped, and she is carried away, and her handmaids are moaning like the sounds of doves, beating on their breasts. Though Nineveh was like a pool of water throughout her days, now they are fleeing. Stop, stop. But no one turns back. They plunder the silver, they plunder the gold, for there is no limit to the treasure, wealth from every kind of desirable object. She is emptied. Yes, she is desolate and waste. Hearts are melting, knees are knocking. The Ninevites had their knees knocking together and their spoils. By the way, remember they had gotten all those treasures of gold and silver that they had amassed? The Lord says, it's all going to be taken away from you. The Babylonian army and the Medo-Persian army is coming up and they're going to take that stuff as plunder. But it's interesting, the way that they were protected, they had the Tigris River on the east bank of the city. And it was kind of like a moat. But what they didn't bank on was what God would do. See, when the Lord wanted those Ninevites to fall, historically, we read about a flood that the Lord caused to happen. And the Tigris River actually rose. It got so full, the water bank rose, and it went up over the bank, and it went up to the wall of the Ninevite city. Well, they didn't really plan on the wall being built to withstand floods, because the Tigris was always down there. And now all of a sudden the water came up, the whole foundation of the city wall as their protection just started to crumble. You know how the water erodes the bank, how it just peels away the earth as it's flowing by? That's what happened. The Lord, he goes, oh, you think you're so tough and you got such bad warriors? Watch this. I just sent some rain. The Lord flooded the Tigris. The water went over the bank, underneath the wall. The wall wasn't built with them thinking this is going to ever have a flood pulling the earth away from underneath it. And so, sure enough, down comes the whole east side of the wall, and it opens up the city completely for attack. When you live in a desert, you got to have water. But too much water is devastation. A flash flood came through, and that flash flood wiped out the wall of Nineveh along that bank, completely took it down, poured through the streets, and the Lord said right here, though Nineveh was like a pool of water, the Babylonian army went in with the Mede army and they just took them out. It was easy. Verse 10, and their hearts melted, their knees knocked, and anguish was in their whole body. Their faces grew pale. They were scared. These were the bad guys. They were never scared. Now they're scared. Where the dens of lions, where is that den of lions, says the Lord? Where's that feeding place of young lions? Where's the lion and the lioness and the lion's cub that prowled with nothing to disturb them? The lion tore enough for his cubs and killed or strangled enough for his lioness and filled his lair with prey and his dens are with torn flesh. But behold, I am against you, declares the Lord of hosts. I will burn her up. I'll burn up her chariots in smoke. A sword will devour your young lions. I will cut off your prey from your land and no longer will the voice of your messengers be heard. 
you've been so proud, like you're the lion that roars and devours everyone else. You're going down. Now, chapter three continues, and it says in verse one, woe to this bloody city, completely full of lies and pillage. Her prey never departs. The noise of the whip and the noises of the rattling of the wheel, galloping horses and bounding chariots, horsemen charging, swords flashing and spears gleaming, many slain, a mass of corpses and countless dead bodies, and they stumble over the dead bodies, and all because of the many harlot trees of that harlot, the charming one, the mistress of sorceries, who sells nations by her harlot trees and families by her sorceries. I am against you, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will lift up your skirts up over your face. I'm going to disgrace you. You think you guys are so bad. I'll show the nations your nakedness and the kingdoms your disgrace, and I'll throw filth on you, says the Lord. I'll make you vile and set you up as a spectacle. Now, I don't think they expected that the Lord would flood their city, tear down their walls, make it so that the Babylonians would come with their chariots and take them all down, and dead bodies would be laying everywhere, and the filth that would come from the flooding. What happens when you flood a desert city that's not used to having floods? What happens to your latrine system when all of a sudden you have a couple feet of water flowing through? All that sewage gets washed into the street. People say, this is too accurate. How did Nahum know this was going to come to Nineveh? Nobody expected Nineveh to go down like this. He's telling them, this is what you're going to get for your arrogance and your sorcery and your harlotry. And it will come about that all that see you, they will shrink from you and say, wow, Nineveh's devastated. And who will grieve for her? Where will I seek comforters for you? Are you better than Noah Ammon? That's the place the Greeks call Thebes. Are you any better than Thebes, which is situated by the waters of the Nile with the water surrounding her, whose rampart was the sea and whose wall consisted of the big waters of the Nile? Ethiopia was her might and Egypt too without limits and Put and Lubin were also among her helpers. Lubin is today Libya. They had Egypt, Libya, all these guys around helping them and she became an exile. And she went into captivity, and also her small children were dashed to pieces at the head of every street, and they cast lots for her honorable men, and her great men were bound with fetters, and you too will become drunk. You will be hidden. You will search for a refuge from the enemy, and all your fortifications will be like a ripe fig tree. Then when it is shaken, it will fall into the eater's mouth. Once a fig gets to that place where it's ripe, ready to eat, you just get ready to catch because just a little shake and they just pop off the branches. If they're green, they're not going to come. But when it's ripe, he says, that's what I'm going to make you guys. You're going to be like pickings of a ripe fig tree. And all I'm going to do is come through and just give you a little rattle and poof, all the fruit is going to drop. That's how tough it is for the Lord. No trouble at all. It's easy. He said, your people are women in your midst. The gates of your lands are open wide to your enemies and fire consumes your gate bars. Draw for yourself water for the siege. Strengthen your fortifications. Go to the clay and tread the mortar. Take hold of the brick mold. Their fire will consume you and the sword will cut you down. It will consume you as does the locust. And multiply yourself like creeping locusts. Multiply yourself like swarming locusts. You have increased your traitors more than the stars of heaven. And the creeping locusts strip and flies away.
Your guardsmen are like swarming locusts. Your marshals are like hordes of grasshoppers settling in the stone walls on a cold day. And the sun rises and then they flee. And the place where they have gone, well, it's not known. Your shepherds are sleeping, O king of Assyria. Your nobles, they're lying down. Your people are scattered on the mountains and there is no one to regather them. There's no relief for your breakdown. Your wound was incurable, and all who hear about you will clap their hands over you, for on whom has not your evil passed continually? Who is there that they didn't pick on in their day, the Assyrians? They were known for causing evil to every one of their neighbors. So God says, when this happens, they're going to be clapping. He said they were like hordes of grasshoppers on the wall. When the sun comes up and they're all just waiting for it to warm up and then they fly off. There were so many of these Assyrians. They were such mean guys, always swarming in and licking up our crops and taking away our stuff. And they were not known for being nice guys. Now, remember the beginning of Nahum? It said this, a jealous and avenging God is the Lord. An avenging and wrathful God, the Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries. And he reserves wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, but the Lord will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. These guys were guilty. Now, God is great in compassion, slow to anger. In fact, I think he was pretty compassionate and waiting. He had sent Jonah that hundred plus years before to say, repent, and it worked for a while. And then he didn't wipe them out right away. He still gave them time an opportunity, but they didn't listen. Sometimes if we just say, well, I did hear a message once, so I need to walk right. I did it for a while, but then I kind of went back to my old evil ways. Is God going to say, good job? No, he'll say, straighten up. And wouldn't the Lord tell us to straighten up? If we used to be walking with him and then we fool around, he'd be like, don't do that. And here's one of those examples where he uses these people and says, I warned them. They didn't listen. And now, coming back to verse 14 of Nahum chapter 1, Nahum says, Behold, on the mountains of the feet of him who brings good news, who announces or declares peace, celebrate your feasts, O Judah, and pay your vows, and never again will this wicked one pass through you. He is cut off completely. And sure enough, you look at history and what happens in Nineveh, the Lord takes him out. Now, Judah over there in Jerusalem, that were all worried about those guys coming back to cause them trouble. Do they have to worry anymore? Nope. Those guys are gone. Lord wiped them out. Sometimes we get all worried about something. Maybe we have some enemy making plans against us and we get all scared. I tell you, just give it to the Lord. Because the Bible says the battle belongs to the Lord. So if ever you feel scared, say, Lord, I just give you this troubles I'm having. I give you my problem. You fight my battle. Now, will the Lord fight for us? He will. And that's the beauty of studying his word. It gives us encouragement. We see how he fought for the Israelites. And remember, it says everything happened to them for our example. You want to know what God can do? Just study what he's already done. You wonder, how big is our God? Can he handle these big, big enemies? Sure. How hard is 185,000 of the meanest soldiers? All their Green Berets, all their Army Rangers, all their Navy SEALs, all their baddest fighting men that they had. 
And it only took God one angel and one night, and he slew them all. No trouble. And big city, you go, but it was a city that was so big, it took three days for Jonah to march across. That's not a small town, guys. A three-day walk just to cross this big city of Nineveh. And it's got the Tigris, the whole northeast of the city is protected by this river. And they go, we'll never get in. They're fortified. They're protected. They got this big wall. Lord goes, not so big to me. They've been making plans against me. Watch me make their plans backfire. If you know the background, this is one of the best stories to say. Don't ever plot against God. You will lose. And you'll lose big. And today, the place today is called Mosul, Iraq. This is how good the Lord took it out. So I just want to encourage you. Whenever you feel like, man, somebody's coming against me. I don't know. And they're mean and they're evil. Just give it to the Lord. Say, Lord, can you take care of my battle? Battle belongs to you, not to us. Remember, it says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. He'll take care of it. That's hard for us because sometimes we want to take our own revenge. But don't do it. Just leave room for the Lord. And he's very capable. He's very good at his job. Amazing Grace Kona thanks you for listening to today's lesson. You can listen to today's lesson or any of the radio lessons on iTunes titled Celebrate the Lord or at our podcast site, CelebrateTheLord.org. And if your travels take you to Kailua Kona on the Big Island of Hawaii, come visit us. We meet Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. on the beach at the north end of the old Kona Airport. For more information on Amazing Grace Kona, go to our church website at AmazingGraceKona.com. Amazing Grace Kona is the original Calvary Chapel Kona.
my face. 